was about 30 feet on the path, he yelled back and said, oh, the first house is a witch doctor. <laughs> I was scared to death. That, that was your house. <laughs> no, it was a witch doctor. No, but that was the house you had to stop at first. That was our first stop. Right. Yeah, me and uh, Peter, the translator. I just freaked. I don't know what to do. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they're going to do my family. <laughs> And I remembered an African-American pastor that was with us that morning. His word was from Matthew 28. All authority. What authority? All authority has been given to you. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. You know how you'll meet people from somebody else? You've got a friend, and they introduce you to somebody else. Well, that's kind of how we got into the studio today with Mike Studdard. Mike is going to share with us an incredible work that's happening here in Memphis, but it's touching people's lives in Uganda and really around the world, Mike. And it's so good to have you on the show today. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I was looking at your bio you have a degree in chemistry, German linguist in the yep. military, and then you worked for the Ford Motor Company for over 27 years, and you've got all these roles in, in leadership and development. But we're going to talk about Bibles and getting God's Word in the hands of people who are refugees, marginalized in many countries, Absolutely. and poor. But welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just appreciate, Byron, what uh, you do at Bot Radio. It's just an amazing privilege, I think, to sit behind that mic and hear what God's doing, not only in Memphis, but around the world. So thanks for bringing the light to so many. Well, praise God. I love the medium of radio. You know, It began for me at 14 years old. I had no idea. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was just a teenage punk kid, if you want to use for <laughs> lack of better words, who had no direction, came from a broken home. Mm. Jesus, at 16 years old, invaded my heart with his love and grace and forgiveness. That's what he does. And wow, changed the trajectory of my life. And I have traveled other side of the world with missionary radio, done radio here with Bot this most recent time for 19 years. But the exciting part, Mike, is to be able to share the God-sized stories like we're going to share today with you. Did you grow up here in Memphis? I grew up in the South primarily in East Tennessee, Northeast Alabama, and then went away. My undergraduate degree was in chemistry in Nashville with David Lipscomb College, which is it's a university now, but many, many years ago, 1972. So <laughs> still have uh, some real dear friends from back then. And then a friend of mine went to Harvard, said, come on up on your way overseas uh, to be a German linguist. So I did and sat in Harvard business class, master's class, and thought, wow, I never knew this existed. So I wanted to marry chemistry and business, marketing. God, right after that, led me to Ford Motor Company, so which was a <laughs> wonderful run. Until you had a better idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but God did. When you look back at all of our lives, God puts us in special places. Some places we put ourselves, but he makes that good for his kingdom. So when I look back, what we're doing in Uganda just has many roots back uh, in my past. Isn't that like God to take our past? Sometimes it's a broken past, or maybe it's a, a well-planned past, a career course like you had in leadership, management, sales, pushing high dollar margins for your company, taking that experience and using it for a higher purpose, really, ultimately, because eternally, but for his plans, purpose to get God's word in the hands of people. You know, I was just thinking, our country in America 
the basic principles of how we do law, the basic principles of our society was all based upon God's word. And we have become a people, and unfortunately, we've become a people within the church who are not reading God's word. And so we don't know what God has to say. And so our lives are not examples of that and our, from our values, the choices we make, because our sin nature takes over because <laughs> we're not submissive to Absolutely. the Holy Spirit and, you know, Jesus life that he calls us into fellowship with through, through the cross and that relationship. So this is an important task because getting God's word into the hand of people, this can literally change nations. Change lives, it changes churches, it changes communities, it changes uh, the world, transforms the world. So almost every constitution in the world is based on the laws in the Bible. So that's uh, how foundational that book is. Yes. Well, I see that you have a lifelong interest in leadership and how to translate desire and experience into demonstrate results. Where's that connection, Mike, between desire and experience, and how do you put those two together? It's trying to connect with uh, someone who has a need and trying to figure out what their gifts are, what their abilities are, and actually allow them to use their gifts to create change, whether it's in the workplace, in a church. For whatever reason, I've always been drawn to the marginalized, maybe because of my parents. When you look at my resume past, well, beginning in Afghanistan and past Ford Motor Company, whether it's working in inner city school systems or within private inner city schools, my heart goes out to these folks laboring hard for the gospel and how can we help them lead in their communities better. So, You mentioned your parents, how that kind of shaped where you are today and in, in your drive today. Tell me about your growing well, up. I was born in 1950, which was a few years ago. <laughs> it seems like only yesterday, <laughs> but it was a few years ago. Back then, we lived in northeast Alabama, and I can remember my parents every summer, we went to see Marshall Keeble's tent revival meeting. He was just a dynamic African-American preacher. And at the time, it, I didn't notice that we were the only white folks there <laughs> at this uh, revival meeting. So just being able to see mom and dad, it didn't matter who you were. You were part of God's family. And when we went to share the gospel in the community, uh, we went to every door. So there was actually families who taught that race back in the 1950s wasn't a dividing line. Uh, my ah. dad tried never to make that a dividing line in his life, which was very unique at the time. Yes. Uh, I saw the pushback in elementary school and later in middle school and high school. I think racism is more taught. In my early years, it was segregated. So I remember I always wanted to have a black friend. I thought that would be the coolest thing, you know. <laughs> I remember my first black friend, Charles, when integration came into the schools. And my mom always taught me, came from a, a single-parent home. My parents split up when I was about seven. Mm. And she would say, son— I want you to know there are good white people and bad white people. There are good black people and bad white people. What she was trying to tell me, Mike, is that don't judge people by what they look like. Absolutely, It's the character of the heart, what Dr. King said. And that dividing line sometimes, uh, even Christians don't want to cross it, sadly enough. Yeah. For me, you know what white church is like? <laughs> <What's it laughs> You're like? laughing because I think a lot of us do. 
But whenever we went to these revival meetings, it was like, why can't we worship like this? I mean, these people know how to worship. When I go to Africa now and see a similar kind of worship, I just can't wait to get to heaven. Because we're going to get to see all (laughs) kinds of worship. And then um, playing football in an integrated school, you really get close to folks. And some of my best friends in high school came from uh, a place that I was not familiar with. You co-founded Africa Bible Ministries to provide shepherded Bibles to those in Africa who are thirsty for God's Word but cannot afford a Bible. Often the issue of literacy comes up. If people can't read, how effective is the Bible in their hands? You know, if I can kind of back up a minute, sometimes we think of those that don't have a Bible, maybe they're lesser than Christians. Yes. But they're really not. Uh, My experience is in Uganda, where I've been many times, the worship service there just brings me into the presence of God in a way that it doesn't happen here. So their worship is vibrant. It's focused on him. And then when you talk to individual Christians, you know, I have hope in my retirement account. I have hope in my position. We have hope in a lot of different things here. But Many of these folks have very little to hope for except in Jesus Christ. So watching, seeing, experiencing that hope uh, just brings um, me to tears sometimes because they are so found. Even though they don't have a Bible, they are not lesser than Christians. But literacy in Uganda in particular is relatively high. Uh, Someone said it's 90 percent. I would guess 70 to 80 percent, depending on where you are and the tribes that you're dealing with. The national language, interestingly enough, is English. That's <laughs> so good. that's what's taught in school. Yeah. Uh, so particularly the younger kids uh, can read English, and yet they still have a mother tongue, uh, which is interesting to see how they navigate the two worlds. <laughs> Did you reluctantly go to Uganda the first time? Kind of heard a story behind the scenes. <laughs> That you were put in uh, maybe an uncomfortable position when you first went there to start a church or do ministry well, that you hadn't done before. You know, the best way to learn is just jump in. Somebody says, go, you're going to go plant a church. So we were, Henry Hutton was in our small couples group, and I'd heard him for two years go to Uganda, coming back, telling these incredible stories of planting with a, a mother church who wanted to plant a church planning a church in four days. I mean, that sounds absolutely outrageous. That's what he said him and Lisa were doing. So I went. Just like he said, you're looking for the man, a woman of peace. No, I can't do that. I can't plant a church. No, that's your job. Go plant a church. (laughs) So uh, fortunately, you're trained. Uh, The people that you're with have been trained the same way to share the gospel. Uh, Most of Africa is rural, uh, particularly in Uganda. 70% of the population, 80% live in rural, far from paved roads. So we would get every day on a dirt road, which turned into a rutted road, which turned in literally to a path. And uh, the first day met with a young church plant pastor. Uh, We prayed with this small team. We left to go out for the first day to share the gospel, and he said, you go that way, I go this way. I said, okay. I was about 30 feet on the path. He yelled back and said, oh, the first house is a witch doctor. <laughs> I was scared to death. That, that, that was your house. <laughs> no, it was a witch doctor. No, but that was the house you had to stop at first. That was our first stop. Right. Yeah, me and uh, Peter, the translator. I just freaked. 
I don't know what to do. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they're going to do my family. <laughs> and I remembered an African-American pastor that was with us that morning. His word was from Matthew 28. All authority. What authority? All authority has been given to you. So, wow. Holy Spirit, please, dear Lord, give me the right word. So that was my first oh. experience in planting a church in four days in Africa. So I continued to go back year after year, uh, looking at eventually over 20 churches, trying to be an encourager, a discipler. And one of the frustrations was if you can't find Bibles for a new church plant in their language, a lot of times you just couldn't find the language. Mm. Or the price was so expensive, it was difficult to, to provide everyone in a new church a Bible. It was really frustrating to me. Mm. So that was my first experience in that setting in Africa. So this partnership where you have co-founded Africa Bible Ministries, is there a connection between that and the American Bible Society? Absolutely. So in 2017, I was whining, literally, because I whine. Uh, to an <laughs> We all whine, right? This guy named David Isaias is with the American Bible Society, and his role is first Bible, they call it. Put the first Bible into people's hands. And so he told me this example of Cuba, where they were almost at a million Bibles into Cuba, kind of broke the walls down for the government to let Bibles in. And this idea of shepherded Bible. Shepherded Bible. What is that? What does it mean by shepherded Bible? Like if I met you for the first time and said, here's a Bible. Um, you know, what, what does that mean to you? It really means nothing. By a shepherded Bible, we want to find somebody who is really thirsty for God's word that we can marry with a pastor, a teacher, a ministry leader who will walk with them to how to open. We find People just say, Mike, I didn't know where Genesis was. If you think about it, right. you've been in church for a while, and you see the pastor open the Bible, but where's Genesis? Mm -hmm. Is there an Old Testament, New Testament? How is that divided? So we want someone to explain, to give them a real foundation in the Word, uh, to teach them how to open it, how to read it, how to study it, how to share it with their family, and most importantly, learn how to share it with others. So a shepherded Bible. Okay. And so that is the plan. Is it a million Bibles you want to take to Uganda? Well, that scares me when you say that. And it took me a long time for me to wrap my arms around it. But I realized it really wasn't my arms I was wrapping it. It was God's arms. Yeah. So it's really beyond a million when you think about it uh, because of the need, not just in Africa. There are so many people that absolutely cannot afford a Bible. It's true in India. It's true in South America. Many of the undeveloped countries. So, so what does that look like practically? I mean, how do you get that many Bibles into the hands of the people in Uganda who need them? Is there a need for people to support financially to help you get this off the ground? Well, it's very difficult to bring in suitcases of Bibles because it weighs 50 pounds on a plane for a free bag. And particularly if you have to pay for your baggage on a plane. So the way it's done in most African countries is they order a small amount. So they're not ordering in bulk and they're not getting a great break. Uh, and that's why they run out of translations quickly. And that's why not many people can afford them. So the idea that uh, David Isaias with the American Bible Society gave me was you have to order in bulk, which I understand. <laughs> you order 10,000. Bibles, that fits a shipping container. If you've seen on a truck about 20-foot-long yeah, shipping container, that that's about 10,000 Bibles, depending on the size. Okay, That allows the printer in China, South Korea, or Brazil uh, to set up the print, the press to 
configure that translation once, to set the press up once, and to start running 10,000 Bibles, and you begin to get a price break at that run. And then when you go to put it on a ship, uh, you save money because it's full. Yeah. You just pay for that one container. Yeah, and I pack many containers being a missionary and help other families pack containers, and you always want to get those as tight as you can. You don't want any wiggle room in there because Absolutely. you take advantage of that space. And so how far into this have you gotten so far? How many Bibles to date have you been able to get into Uganda? Well, we celebrate, really celebrate what God has done. 62,000 Bibles are in the country, relatively short period of time considering covid God has opened the door after door after door after door to allow this to happen. And you've got plans, Mike, between 2021 to 2023, finish seeding the districts, all the districts that you have outlined here in Uganda. You want to be able to do that. Between, what, 30,000, 60,000 in the spring and summer of 2022, just next year. That wouldn't seed all. By seed, uh, we're going through like the sub-counties or districts or counties, okay, area by area. And so uh, the next area will take about 60,000 Bibles. But we have 50 out of 133 districts. Uh, so that's really great. Unfortunately, that means that whatever the math is, 83 districts hasn't experienced getting a Bible, that people getting a Bible that uh, they can't afford and actually see them grow and mature as a Christian. Part of that, too, is to print and develop children's Bibles for 9- to 14-year-olds to secure African publishing rights and print study Bibles for untrained pastors in Africa, which is a big deal, produce audio Bible for mostly unreached people tribe. I can't say the name of the tribe. I'll let you tackle that one. Camerjan, perhaps? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Camerjan. Yeah, so... um when we began thinking about how do you do this, what is our target, to use a marketing term? Uh, so it's very clear that if you're living uh, a rural poor or urban poor, uh, that you can't afford a Bible. So that automatically was someone we wanted to reach. Number two, uh, 49% of all of Ugandans are 15 years or younger, which is just a staggering statistic. Well, let's stop there a second, Mike. I think this is important because you're talking about impacting the minds and the hearts of the next generation of leadership for Uganda. I mean, this is big. This is powerful. And as we went around kind of talking about this with national leaders, uh, church leaders, ministry leaders in Uganda, regional leaders, and then ministry leaders actually on the ground doing the work and churches doing the work. Every one of them said, this is the most important task that we have. The next Billy, uh, they don't use Billy Graham, but the next Billy Grahams are sitting in classrooms today. And if we don't reach them, uh, the impact of Western culture because of phones and TVs actually getting into these little villages is uh, hardening the hearts of these children. And so uh, they recognize the importance of uh, impacting them with the Bible, yes, with the Word of God, with the Gospel. You know, a lot of them are Christians already, right. so they are the church. Well, you mentioned technology, a lot of them having phones. Are there also Bible apps that they're being directed to, or can they have access to Bible apps that would boost the outreach of getting the Word of God out? It varies on uh, – there aren't many children like here in America that have their own phone. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way it is. 
Uh, it's, you know, usually you'll have only one or two phones in a multifamily. Uh, they live in mud huts typically with thatch roofs, and so they're multi-generational. So right. there'll be five or six huts. Well, when those audio Bibles come together, you know, that could be a great tool to transmit, or even if it was a few families had one phone within them, that they could listen to audio versions, you know, of the Bible, maybe through an app or something. Well, uh, we have what's called a talking Bible, and it's a little bit larger than a cigarette. Go ahead, hold that up for us. Take a look at um, it. Yeah. So it looks like a Bible. It has uh, all the features that a cover of a Bible has, but on the back, it has a solar panel. So it can be used anywhere that there's sun, which is a pretty good <laughs> thing because the sun comes up every day. And it's really uh, compact. You can also put a micro USB in it. Oh, yeah. That's the way you load uh, up to three languages, and you can try it. Just turn the volume knob there. I know those on the radio can't see this, but in a well, minute. we're doing video, too, so our friends yeah. on video will be able to see Christ this. Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And so on the By side, we love the children of God. you can we love God change and obey his commandments. And then the bottom two change the chapter. Chapter two, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. Wow, that was pretty appropriate, right? Yeah. It's because of false prophets that are all over the world that we need to get the Word of God into the hands of these people. Uh, one of the things people will say once they get a Bible is, you know, I was worried about what the pastor was saying. I thought, you know, some of the things God does is a little different. And so now I can, t- I have my own Bible, and I can see if the pastor is preaching the truth or not, uh, which is an important role of the uh, Christian in church. But uh, there's a tribe called the Karamajangs, which are very hated because they believe that every cow on earth belongs to them. So if you have a cow, it's mine. <laughs> it's their cow. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to say, no, you can't take it. It's my cow. So uh, inevitably, they're violent. Uh, inevitably, that leads to a lot of friction. And where we were in May in one of the areas we were was on the border of this tribe, up until like 2000, they didn't wear clothes. Uh, they hated each other. The Ateso and the Karamajang tribe hated each other. So the pastor of the church, we hosted multiple denominations to come in with the pastors and congregants, invited and paid for 10 Christians from the Karamajang tribe, which is rare. Yes. Paid for them to come to church to hear uh, us go from Genesis to Revelation to teach the Word of God. And after it word and talking to them, uh, we can get the Bible in your language. It's relatively new, but who can read? And the answer was 10 to 20 percent. So this is that tribe that really hasn't been educated for the most part. And so we pulled this out and showed them, and suddenly they, they just lit up because they knew exactly what to do. This can be heard in a room of 30 people. Yes. It can be used in one of their huts uh, for Bible study. It's just multi, just all kinds of different ways that uh, the Word of God can be used through an electronic device. Mike, this is beautiful. (laughs) Okay, so as we wrap up the show right now, what would you say to those listening that maybe feel an inclination from the Lord to participate, to want to help you in the efforts of getting the Bibles into Uganda? What can they do? Well, I just ask you to think about if you were to try to disciple someone and they didn't have a Bible, how effective would it be? And the answer is it's really hard 
to learn more about the Bible when you don't have it. And it's you certainly can't share it. More and more people, everybody says, I became confident to share the Bible when I had the book. So the cost of shipping a Bible all the way from one of these far off places, put it on a container ship, uh, in the case of Uganda, uh, dock it in Mombasa, transport it to Kampala, and then actually put it in the hands of uh, someone who's thirsty for God's word is about $7.32. And we slowly are driving that price down. But so for $7, a little over $7, uh, we estimate that each Bible impacts at least five people in one of these multi-generational homes. You can impact five people for Christ eternally, eternally for a small amount of money. So where do we begin? Is there a website? How do we do this? Uh, AfricaBibleMinistries.Bible or .com.org.net. Africa Bible Ministries will connect you to what we do. And Mike, if somebody wanted to talk to you personally more about this, maybe have you come speak to a group that they were leading, a Bible study group or a church meeting, would you be interested in how could they contact you? We'd love to do that. And the reason we love to do that is that America really needs to cherish the Bible as much, we Americans, as much as they cherish the Bible there. So it's a really, when I talk to pastors, very often they weep because they understand the importance of reading the Bible and see what a difference, how people there in Africa are valuing the Bible. So I'd love to do it. Contact me at mikeaok at gmail.com or just go to the website. There's a contact link, and that comes to me. Awesome. Well, dear brother, thank you so much for the way you are allowing Christ to use you through this ministry. Again, the Africa Bible Ministries. Friend, hope you'll go to that website, discover more how you can participate. Pray for this work. Yes. And uh, God bless you, my friend. Thanks for stopping by. We're going to have to do updates in the future. Have you come back? Oh, that'd be cool. I'd love it, Byron. Thank you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Byron back just for a few seconds at the end of today's show to let you know the program that you just heard is available at our website, BotRadioNetwork.com. Just look for the title with today's date under Mid-South Viewpoint as the show. The program has been a local feature on Bot Radio Network here in Memphis for 35 years now. I would also invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. Occasionally, you'll find some of the shows produced in the video on YouTube under Byron Tyler Radio. Hey, we really appreciate that you're listening. Thanks so much. 